Welcome to the Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. We're two writers and Harry Potter fans. In this podcast, we explore the Harry Potter series by reading it backwards. As you might recall, Harry and his friends discover the power of the Glittering Bell Jar in the Department of Mysteries as it causes objects to move backward and forward through time. We're doing the same thing each week, working backwards through a few chapters, starting with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Ready to explore Harry Potter in a new way? Then join us in the Glittering Bell Jar. Welcome to another episode of The Glittering Bell Jar. I am Valerie, one of your two hosts, and I'm joined tonight by Bree. Hi, everyone. How's it going, Valerie? It's going well. It's going well. It's been a busy week. Um, It's hard to believe that we're already into the spring season. So at the time of recording, it's not fully dark yet. And I was thinking of that when I was prepping. I was like, it's surprisingly light. And we're about to have daylight savings time. So it's going to be even brighter as we wrap up the season. Oh, lucky you. It's definitely dark outside, but I'm further on the East Coast, so. Yeah, we've di- we've discussed that we're in the same time zone, but I'm on the west end of it, and you're on the east end of it, so you get darker faster, but light earlier in the morning, which I would really, that's what I prefer. That's why I hate this part of daylight savings time, when you lo- lose that morning light. That's what wakes me up every morning. Yeah, we'll see. I'm going to lose an hour of sleep, which I won't be happy about, but it's okay. That too. Yeah, <laughs> or like lose. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, I'm good, Yeah. I'm good. I got a workout in today, so that always feels good. And yeah, just a normal day. Cool. All right. Well, yeah. um, it's hard to believe it, but we're on episode 13. We are like faster than light speed approaching the end of reading Deathly Hollows backward. <laughs> if you are just tuning in for the first time, you might be a little bit confused about what's going on. Hopefully when you found us, you kind of saw the chapter titles and the episode titles. But basically we're reading Harry Potter series backward. And we've been going through this entire season reading Deathly Hallows. We started at the end as one would when they're going backward. And we only have this episode next week. And then the final episode of the season will be a film recap, basically. So we're reading the book backwards and then watching the film to wrap up the season. Then we will take a little break. So if you did find us, is this your first episode? I recommend going back and starting at the beginning. If you like what you're hearing at this point, this is exactly what it's like the whole season. Uh, You can continue (laughs) listening if you love Harry Potter and you don't feel the need to go in order. That's fine. Uh, If you're more OCD slash Hermione like me and you need to do things in order or completely, go back to episode one, start there, see if you like it. And uh, we'll see you when you catch up, which won't take too long. We don't have that many episodes per season. That's true. But we do talk a lot. So warning. (laughs) We do. We do. Put us on one and a half speed if you're trying to catch up. This is actually the most chapters and I believe the most pages that we're ever going to cover in a single episode. And you and I were discussing this before we started, whether or not we should break this one up differently. And I was mostly like, I mean, we could have if we decided that, but then it adds an extra episode. And I feel like you and I could just talk to Phil whatever time we have. So we are going to move quickly through four chapters today. Oof, we're going to try. I mean, I really like to hear myself talk. And mm-hmm. Valerie, you wanted me, you're like, you get you get so many points per chapter. And I just don't know that I can do that. But I will, maybe I'll just try to talk really, really fast. <laughs> okay, slow down <laughs> from one and a half speed whenever Bree starts talking. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so we are covering basically everything that happens after Harry leaves number four Privet Drive before mm-hmm. they go on the run once the ministry is taken Correct. over. Yeah, so we are basically spending most of our time at the borough. That's like the majority of what we're going to be covering. And we, we did that on purpose because it's like all in one location. So hopefully we'll be able to get through all this in about the same amount of time, though me continuing to talk about it is certainly slowing us down. So are you, <laughs> are you ready to get right into it? 
Let's do it. All right. Okay. So friendly reminder, real quick, how we read these chapters is we read the last sentence first, and then we read the chapter, and then we go back a chapter. When we discuss it on podcast, we have Brie gives us a synopsis of the chapter. I read the last sentence of that chapter, and then we discuss. So let's just get right into it. All right. Chapter eight, the wedding. It is Fleur and Bill's wedding. There's magic all around and people coming in from all over. The ceremony brings out the romantic in everyone, just as muggle weddings do. From Harry mooning over Jenny to Ron and Hermione dancing all night. However, with so many people around, Harry learns dark half-truths about Dumbledore, including Dumbledore's sister Ariana being locked up and the possibility of him dabbling in dark arts as a teenager. Before Harry can learn any more, the wedding is intercepted by a Patronus from Kingsley letting them know the ministry has fallen. From there, chaos ensues. Okay, for the record, we're going to write this the Cliff Notes version of this book based on all of your synopses. And by the way, you're getting really good at them. That was like a oh, very engaging <laughs> narrative version of this chapter. It was very well done. So, okay, jump. let me do the last sentence. Well, we're going to, again, as we've discovered in podcast, the last sentence is typically not enough context. So I'm going to read the last paragraph, which is three short sentences. The ministry has fallen. Scrimger is dead. They are coming. Hmm which is a very different tone than the entire rest of the chapter. So this one makes sense yeah. if you just listened to last week, episode 12, because that's what happens next is the ramifications of this line. But this chapter is much lighter, much more enjoyable, much more joyous. Mm-hmm. As is most of the episodes or the chapters we'll be covering today, except for the last chapter, three of them are just all at the burrows. And it's quite nice considering this book has been so dark. I have enjoyed, I really, I took my time reading these three chapters, which I do read much, much slower preparing for this podcast than I do in real life. I am a very fast reader normally, but I loved these chapters and I just wanted to eat up every little second of Harry just getting to enjoy life at the burrows for, you know, just a little bit. Yeah, kind of the last time he gets to really be relaxed before the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, totally. Where do you want to start then? You know, I will, I said everything was light, but there was some sad moments. For example, the first thing that popped out at me was Fred. And so you have, you have his mom going and his mom is kind of going crazy. She's trying to get everything ready for the wedding and doing errands. It's at their house, you know, kind of driving everyone crazy. And Fred, Fred says, when I get married, tugging at the collar of his own robes. I won't be bothering with any of this nonsense. You can wear what you like and put, I'll put a full body bind on mom. Yeah, I, I caught that too, because obviously doesn't, Fred get doesn't do get to have that part of his life, though we are, of course, I don't even feel like that's foreshadowing. Yeah. That's only something you can pick up when you're reading the book either a second time or going backwards as we are. Yep, I caught that. Actually, I caught something right next to that, which was Harry's wearing his dress robes. And then I thought, oh, which dress robes is Ron wearing? Is he wearing those crazy old ones? But he's not, because after Harry wins the Goblet of Fire, the Triwizard Tournament, he gives some of his money, or he gives all of his money to Fred and George, and they he says he earmarks it for them to buy him new dress robes. So Ron is presumably not wearing frilly collared and cuffed dress robes. I could, it's only as I said it just now that I was like, oh, right, he doesn't, he has those nice blue dress robes now I remember. Honestly, a good friend too, because I do think throughout the series for myself, especially being like younger when you read them, you're like, why wouldn't Harry just buy Ron things? You know, like he obviously has money. We can assume a decent amount, which can go very quickly, you know, considering it's just sitting there. It's not like they have it in stocks and bonds in the wizard world, or we assume they don't. It's just sitting in a cave basically. But 
This way he was finally able to do that for Ron because of, you know, didn't want the money. And so it was one way for him to finally help him. And he even tells them not to say that it's from him. Like he's, right, they're hiding yeah. who, where the money comes from. Eventually I say that, you know, it's going to come out and they talk about it. And that's when like, I believe it's maybe in Order of the Phoenix where Mrs. Weasley's a bit upset with Harry because he's bankrolled something she doesn't want her sons to be doing. But anyway, we'll get to that point when we get to that point, which is a good segue into our Gilderoy Lockhart style quiz question of the week. Ooh. Friendly reminder, <laughs> this season we are doing a question every single week where we answer the question about ourselves. And whoever gets the most right answers will win a Harry Potter prize pack. I have started DMing cool stuff that I get served ads for on Instagram over to Brie at Belgar Pod, our social handles, because that's the only way I can keep track of how many ads I'm getting. So clearly Instagram knows I love Harry Potter at this point. But anyway, the question of the week. And the stuff is cool, I must say. It is cool. I'm really excited. I'm like, I can buy some for myself. (laughs) Question of the week is what color dress robes would you have? You know, this is a really hard one. I'm super into pink lately, but like pink doesn't necessarily look good on me. So I'll probably go with a traditional, like what looks good on me. I'm going to go like um, a sort of like a lighter maroon. So almost pink, like a, or like a, no, dang it. See, mm-hmm. I can't decide. I don't know. I hate this question because it depends on the dress. This is hard. Uh, You know what? Yeah, we're going, mm-hmm. we're going maroon. I'm going maroon. Okay. You're going maroon, which is very fitting because you're a Gryffindor and that's the color that you wear. So you're wearing Gryffindor maroon. Uh, yeah, this is a tough one. I think, and this is going to sound so funny, but my I put my bridesmaids in emerald green mm. and I bought one of their dresses for myself too because <laughs> I want it. We bought them on Etsy, by the way. I, like, I was like, we're going to get more into wedding stuff as we talk about things in this episode, but... I was very conscientious about not making my bridesmaids spend a lot. So we bought these things on Etsy and I bought one for myself too. So I would know how it fit and how to help them wear it. And it's this beautiful emerald green that I really like. I think it's like eye catching, but also not too liberal of a color. Like there's conservative colors and liberal colors. So I think I'm going to go with emerald green, which is funny Mm -hmm. because I just kind of called you out for wearing Gryffindor colors. And now I'm going to be wearing Slytherin colors. (laughs) Love that. Okay. Anyway, let's get back to it. One of the first things that I actually noticed was about Luna and Luna's ability to recognize Harry through his disguise, which I thought was really interesting because nobody else does. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, literally nobody. I loved that. That just, yeah, that definitely brightened my day whenever I saw. I was like, of course Luna knows it's him. Yeah, just based on his expression. Yeah, like what? Speaking of a Luna, I also, I loved the entire encounter with Luna and her father and how they're talking about, they wore really bright colors and they didn't wear their dress robes. They wore like really bright yellows and she had like a sunflower in her hair. And it even says, well, once you kind of got over how bright it was, it is kind of nice. And she even laughed about it, but she loves her dad so much. She was like, whatever. It didn't seem like she was embarrassed where I feel like a normal teenager would have been like, oh, my dad, like Ron, Ron would have been mortified, right? If his mom, you know, made him wear like the sweaters, right? Where Luna just kind of like loved it and was okay with the fact that, you know, they stood out. It made her dad happy. So it made her happy. Yeah. I also like that philosophy that you should wear sun colors to a wedding. I think that that's a generally a good rule, especially if you're going to a summer wedding, which this is a summer wedding. It's on August 1st. So like maybe that's my new life rule when I'm going to weddings. I wear, you know, moon colors when I go to winter <laughs> weddings and I wear sun colors when I go to summer weddings. It's a good, good fashion rule. I like it. Gosh, I have so many disparate notes in here. 
Yeah, you know I do too. I feel like there was just several fun things that I picked out from the wedding. You have their aunt, so the Weasley's aunt, kind of being, there's just so many like grumpy different people. It, I loved how it felt just like a muggle wedding. Mm -hmm. You know, you had the aunt who obviously is very, we'll call it prejudiced, although she's a lot of other things. She was pretty awful. You know, you have like Luna and her dad who are a little bit off, like a little bit different. You know, they're wearing bright colors. I loved that Ron and Hermione, they're literally dancing. Like what, who has Ron turned into? Which we kind of find out in the next chapter why. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the 12 fail-safe ways to charm witches. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna definitely learn that in the next chapter going backward. Mm -hmm. Actually, one thing about Muriel that I thought was interesting is that she says she's 107. And she kind of comes across like, I'm 107 and I'm so old, blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, how old are these other people, right? Because we know of other older witches and wizards. So I looked up Albus Dumbledore and Batilda Bagshot, who are two of the other people that they're talking about. So just for quick reference, Dumbledore was 115 when he died. Okay. He was born in 1881 and he died in 1997. And then Batilda Bagshot, what's interesting is that Muriel says, my mother was friends with Batilda. So Muriel is 107. Her mother, a generation older, was friends with her. But it sort of gets muddled because according to the wiki, Batilda is at least 124 when she dies, but we actually don't know her birth year. So not 100% sure on the details of that, but it's like, I was trying to do the math in my head how old these people were because Muriel seems so quote so old and she acts like an old lady and like make sure I get a good seat and all that but she's actually Dumbledore's not that much older than her and he seemed much more like vibrant and alive in his later years than she does when she's younger than him yeah well all that hate yeah yeah that loving loving Rita Skeeter and reading Rita Skeeter on the regular that stress level will definitely wear you down honestly <laughs> Let's see what else, what else? Okay, so one more thing I researched was actually the Vila magic mm. that would make Bill look like he had been transformed yeah. to have never been attacked by by Fenrir Greyback. And what's yeah. interesting is that's not a magic that's really discussed in the wiki. There's not a whole lot of information. The primary magic that we know that Vila have is the ability to entrance men. But this special ability that Fleur demonstrates when she's so joyously in love at her wedding day, where she basically makes everyone more beautiful around her. I always loved that description. In fact, when we got married a few years ago, I was thinking of Fleur at her wedding and it's part of my like vision board in my mind because she's just glowing with happiness. Aww. And actually, if you look at my wedding photos, which we could we could pull them up because I know she wears a little bit different of a dress in the movies than uh, is described in the books. But my wedding dress is very similar to what's described in this book. Anyway, I, love that. I just really like the way like if you're that happy, you just like beautify everyone around you. But that magic is not explained in any way. I had I had pulled it up to do the research. So if you're curious too, like is this something all Vila can do when they're truly happy? Unknown. <laughs> not available. Information is not available to me at this time. Bummer. Yeah, I saw that as well. And I just thought that was so cool. I think she just makes everyone else look good too. Their whole wedding ceremony is like one of, it's just visually very pleasing to me having gotten married. Like I was kind of aiming for all of that. We got kind of close in a muggle way. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I loved like whenever she's getting married, which if you have a significant other or you're dating someone, when you can't help it. When you're at someone else's wedding, you start getting dreamy the way that Harry gets about Ginny. And I loved all three of these chapters that are coming up that we're talking about because it's focused so much on Harry and Ginny. And I, I don't know, I thought it was so sweet because it says, Harry's mind wandered back to afternoons spent alone with Ginny in lonely parts of the school grounds. Like so romantic, so sweet. And he's like, I wonder if she's thinking of it. And I don't know. And then, you know, you've got- Well, she winks at him from the, aisle, the front of the aisle. So I think so. <laughs> right, yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah. 
And even Ron, he's dancing and he's nice to Luna. He says, it said, Ron admired Luna. She's great, isn't she? Always good value. And then it's almost like Mm -hmm. he took that cue to ask Hermione to dance because it's immediately, he's like, hey, you want to dance? Like, oh, it just shows. Well, I thought it was, I thought it was a crumb arrival. Luna gets up to go dance and then crumb arrives and then. It's true. You're right. (laughs) Which, okay. I have a point about crumb, but I think you had something else you wanted to say about Luna. No, that was it. I just loved that Ron, like, was in such a good mood that even Luna, like, made him happy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that Luna, I can see it in the, the scene from the movie in my head. I think that I would, I would definitely be appreciative of a Luna at a wedding. We didn't have anyone yeah. like that at my wedding. I'm not friends with anyone that, that that's that quite off the wall, but that's a new <laughs> life goal. I did say I did a little bit of cross book research because at, we were just talking about Crumb and Luna and all these other characters that kind of come back together. First of all, this book is just like a whole bunch of pulling the final threads together. Like the whole thing. I mean, I thought that was the case when we were in the final third of the book moving forward, mm-hmm. but it's still the case that we're getting these characters pulled together, old storylines are addressed, etc. But there's an interesting interaction where Harry realizes that Grigorovich, which if you're reading the book forward, it, he's just had a vision of Voldemort looking for Grigorovich. He realizes that Grigorovich is the wand maker that made Crumb's wand. And he says it to Crumb in disguise, of course. And Crumb doesn't really know why Harry would know that. And I was like, well, is it possible that that could have been published somewhere? Like, was Rita Skeeter in the room at the weighing of the wands when Ollivander took Crumb's wand and saw that it was a Grigorovich wand? And the answer is yes. She was in. The, she was sitting in the room. I would assume the way that that the kind of hole would be filled. Mm. Like, Rita Skeeter was there interviewing everyone. She was there during the weighing of the wand ceremony before the Triwizard Tournament. And thus, she had the information that Grigorovich made Crumb's wand. I would assume she would publish something salacious like that. Because that's kind of interesting. Oh, he's from somewhere else and he doesn't have the same wand maker. And then, oh, Fleur de la Cour, her wand has a core that's a Vila hair and that's so unusual. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing that Rita Skeeter would go after. Of course, that doesn't get addressed at all here because Crumb just ends up feeling confused about how it happened and Harry can't reveal that he was in the room. Though he could have just been like, well, Rita Skeeter said it. Anyway, it's possible that Rita Skeeter said it. That would explain, that could explain it to Crumb if if needed. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I had forgotten. I couldn't remember for sure how Harry knew about it. So I'm glad. I was like, I bet Valerie knows. <laughs> I have a sticky note in that section. Of course. <laughs> I, I pulled it out. I pulled it off the shelf and I was like, I just want to double check that it gets mentioned in that scene because that's where we know Harry gets that information. And I flipped back the page before and it's like, all the judges are in the room, all the Triwizard Tournament contestants are in the room and Rita Skeeter's in the room. So everyone's in the room to get that information. Got it. Speaking of Rita Skeeter. Yeah. I thought this whole interaction with Muriel, Alpheus Doge, and Harry was very interesting because it revealed a different side of this story that we've been approaching throughout the book in a very backwards fashion. Like we learn Dumbledore's version first by reading backward, and then we get each other person's version. And Muriel has a particular perspective and Elfie Stoge has a particular perspective. But what I thought was interesting is that Harry says Rita Skeeter hinted that Dumbledore was involved in the dark arts when he was young. And if we think about the timeline, it's not certain that Elfie Stoge would have known about all that happened with Dumbledore and Grindelwald, actually, because the whole scene was that Dumbledore came home for the summer and his mother died. And so he couldn't go off on his grand journey with Elfius Doge. So Doge went off on the journey on his own and he stayed home to take care of Ariana. And Doge might not have even known what was going on. So it's like, we see how people have different perspectives in part because they just have different information. And it's, Doge literally may believe that, that Dumbledore didn't do that, even though Rita Skeeter's hinting at it because he didn't know about it and he considered them very close friends. But that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that Dumbledore wasn't doing the dark arts because Doge would have known about it. Right. I, I think it was an interesting parallel just to show like you have fans of Dumbledore followers of Dumbledore, whatever you want to say, 
And then you have the people like Rita Skeeter who want to believe that there's more to it and he's more flawed than everyone. He's not as perfect as everyone makes him out to be. So it was a nice parallel to see that. Yeah. And there's a lot of nuance to the story. Like each person's perspective can be technically right given the information that they have. Because the other piece of that to me was like the bit about Ariana being a squib, being hidden away. Mm -hmm. We know she wasn't a squib. I don't quite know what the equivalent would be. I've always kind of thought she was almost like an equivalent in the muggle world would be if a child was attacked by other children and suffered brain damage. Mm. And so she's not capable of taking care of herself. She's not going to have magic in a traditional way. She can't live on her own. She can't go out. I mean, in public, a family struggle with that in general when you have a child who has severe cognitive, I won't say impairments because there are people who have just different abilities and that affects their ability to live independently and be successful on their own. But the whole the assumption that she was a squib and then Doge being like, she was not a squib and he's actually right and Muriel's wrong. But then neither of them know the real picture, which is that she yeah. was attacked and, and they were trying to keep her safe, really. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I, the whole thing is really sad. It still like really bothers me, the whole Ariana thing, because they should have just put her at St. Mungo's. You know what I mean? I get probably in our own, even in our own world, we feel like, no, we need to protect them. We need to take care of them ourselves when it's really not something that you can do and not do well. Well, and I would say it depends on what your options are as a family, because if your option is that you have a volatile person who has difficulty in this in the muggle world, regulating their emotions and taking care of themselves, it may be that putting them into a treatment facility means they end up being in a straitjacket and medicated into non-existence, basically. Like we know that mental health care does still do that to people today. We got rid of most institutions, but there still are care facilities like that. So they might have just said, we're going to keep her at home because we think we can care for her better. We can keep her calmer. We can have her have a semblance of normalcy that she might not get if she's living on the closed ward in St. Mungo's with Mm -hmm. the likes of Gilderoy Lockhart and the Longbottoms, which is not a particularly stimulating or caring environment in the same way. Yeah, I guess you're right. I never thought of it in terms of like real life, you know, that's, yeah, you're right. That would be hard to do. It would be hard to make that decision, especially. It would be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think no matter which decision you would make, people would judge you for it. Especially when you're a high profile family, like the Dumbledores become through Albus's success in life. Oh, yeah. People are like, oh, they just sent her off to St. Mungo's. They didn't want to deal with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh, she was damaged and they didn't. They were so heartless because they, they <laughs> didn't keep her in the family. We, we What we would have done. Everyone's going to have an opinion on that. Yeah, you're and right. That's the hard part about providing that kind of care for people who need it is that you never you can't make the right decision. You have to make the best decision you can. Yeah. Oof. look at us getting deep. Oh, I know. Well, do you have anything else not so <laughs> deep from this chapter or deep if you have other deep notes? No, no, that was it. Okay, okay. So let's just go back one chapter. Let's keep it moving along because we have a lot to cover. So turning back one chapter. Chapter seven, the will of Albus Dumbledore. It's Harry's 17th birthday, which means no trace. They celebrate Harry's birthday with a dinner with friends, including Hagrid, Tonks, and Lupin. But not before Harry celebrates his birthday with Jenny with one last steamy kiss before they are, of course, caught by Ron. (laughs) At his birthday, the Minister of Magic shows up last minute with Mr. Weasley to give Ron, Harry, and Hermione contents from Dumbledore's will. Ron receives the Deluminator, Hermione, the Tales of the Beetle and the Bard, and Harry, the Snitch, from his first game, and the Sword of Gryffindor, which he cannot receive because it was technically not Dumbledore's to give. All right, and the final sentence of this chapter is, and Ron clicked the Deluminator once more as Hermione left the room. So... First of all, let's start right at the top. Mm. This photo in our version of the book, the Marie Grand Prix version, the OG version in America, has Harry and Ginny. And it is a lovely little picture, a lovely little mm-hmm. portrait of them as young people together. 
Oh. Yeah, it's really a really nice moment in time captured between them, uh, that particular kiss, which I will say, I know Ron's just being big brother, but Ginny started it, okay? And he's taking it out, like Ron's taking it out on Harry when Harry's not like dragging Ginny around. He's not playing with her. Ginny's like way stronger than I think Ron especially gives her credit for. I don't get the sense that her other brothers do that to her the same way or assume that she's going to be this fragile little thing. But she's like really, that's what Harry loves about her is that she is very strong and doesn't Mm -hmm. get emotional about this and understands the cost of everything. And like, it's a badass in the final battle and like serves as a nurse on the, you know, on the field to to kids after. Like, it's like, Jenny's cool. Like, she can handle it. If she's kissing someone, first of all, don't tell her not to. Have you have you learned nothing, Ron? And second, she can handle the emotional implications of anyone she's kissing. She's made that very clear. Yeah, and you know what? None of it made sense to me anyways, because I get that they have to, like, break up and, like, people just can't be seen. They can't be seen, you know, by other people. But Ron knows that he didn't, like, technically really dump her. And even they kind of act weird about it. I'm like, yeah, you broke up. But like, we all know if the war happens to end and you don't die, you're going to end up together. Mm -hmm. So I don't really understand why he would be so mad. Like he's throwing, like he's messing with her feelings. Like he's trying to like get with other girls or something. Like, no, he's going to go fight a war. Right. He's not like he's trying to get back together with her either. Like Harry's made it very clear and Ginny respects that. I don't know. (laughs) I don't have any, I don't have siblings around my age that would have gotten involved in my love lives. But I'm like, be fair here, Ron. This was not... Harry, <laughs> be mad at Ginny, okay? He knows better than to be mad at Ginny, though, because Ginny's not taking that nonsense. Well, that's probably true. But can we talk about that steamy kiss? Like, the movies did not do that kiss justice. Like, in the book, like, it is steamy. Yeah. I think that's in part the two actors, and this is no disrespect to either of them, because both Bonnie Wright and Dan Radcliffe are fantastic actors, but they just did not have the chemistry. No. In part because they gutted Ginny as a character, So Mm -hmm. she did not have that fire and strength in the movies that she does in the books. We are watching one of Dan Radcliffe's shows right now, Miracle Workers. We just found it on HBO. Mm. And Dan Radcliffe's fantastic. And he does have chemistry with people. He just didn't have it with the Ginny that they had built in the movies. The books, it's like, feels awesome. Yeah. Honestly, that's probably one of most people's biggest complaint about the movies is that they didn't allow her to have that fire. She's very, very like small in the movies. They play Mm -hmm. her as she was when she first met Harry instead of what she became, Mm -hmm. which was an amazing Quidditch player, which she ends up going to play professional Quidditch for a couple years. Like she is a a badass, but she is (laughs) like, she's amazing. Like she's powerful and strong. And yeah, they, they didn't let her play that part, which is kind of a bummer. Um, Because a lot of people don't like Ginny because of that, who only watch the movies. And I'm like, well, you don't know the real Ginny. Right. This is why you don't ever judge a book by the movie. (laughs) Because (laughs) this is how many pages it took to tell the story. And they had to cut it down to make it even a palatable two movies. I mean, I remember when they announced that. And I was like, oh, my God. They had to break it into two because it's so much. And, of course, things end up on the cutting room floor. And, unfortunately, broadly speaking, in the series of films, Ginny was one of those things. Anyway. Ginny's a badass. The kiss was beautifully described. And it's one of the few times that their kisses are actually described. For the most part, that all happens off screen or off page. It's alluded to, but never described, which I think was a good way Mm -hmm. in a book to not get into that sort of romance saliciousness that people like. Like, that's not what it's about. You can read the fan fiction if you want that. Maybe I will. (laughs) 
Speaking of salicious, I love when uh, Ron is introducing 12 fail-safe ways to charm witches and says, it's not all about, quote, wand work. Oh, God. (laughs) That is such a good innuendo. Oh, God. It's so bad. It's so bad. (laughs) Or I shouldn't say it's not even an innuendo. It's a double entendre. It has two meanings. It's just very, very clever. It's true. Very clever. It's true. Yeah, I bet he really regretted giving Harry that magazine once he saw him kissing his sister. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, well, you're putting it to work already, buddy. Well, and honestly, uh, I think you should just go read the kiss because it is not just a kiss. Like they are, they are crossing a, a, a thing they haven't done before. You can tell in the book. Anyway, so it is a, it is a full on heavy duty makeout sesh. So. Yeah. Um, should I just read it? Oh it my is, God, please. It is, yes. Um, it's like the, <laughs> the sauciest part of this whole series. Okay. Then she was kissing him as she had never kissed him before. And Harry was kissing her back and it was blissful oblivion, better than fire whiskey. She was the only real thing in the world, Ginny. The feel of her, one hand in her back and one in her long, sweet smelling hair. I'm literally blushing. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> it's hard, hard to describe a kiss better than that. Right. He's literally grabbing her hair. That's what we're all go. That's like the, that's the movie moment. And they didn't even put it in the movie. Right. That could have been very good. But yeah, no, we got a little... A little sad kiss, like they had never kissed before. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for reading that. My face will be red for the rest of the episode. But <laughs> I had two two more notes that are kind of related. They're both related to the things, the items that they receive in the will, and specifically Hermione. Mm-hmm. In that they discuss how there's 31 days that the Ministry can confiscate goods from a will and basically scrutinize and test them before they have to be released if they're not determined to be dark objects. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of interesting because it does give us another timestamp in our backwards chronology of events because this is August or July 31st. It's Harry's birthday. And so 31 mm-hmm. days previous, let's say that's June 30th. I don't know if that's the day mm-hmm. that Dumbledore's will was to be executed or if that's the day that Dumbledore died. I didn't double check that. But basically that does underscore what I was saying before about how the term goes all the way through June. They're at school all the way through June. We were talking about that last episode. Mm-hmm. Yep. The other thing is that, interestingly, I thought when they were talking, when Hermione was asking Scrimgeour about, you know, if the Ministry hasn't found any hidden codes in my copy of the Tales of Beetle the Bard, why would I find them? And I thought it was kind of interesting that nobody at the Ministry recognized the symbol of the Deathly Hallows or even the symbol of Grindelwald in a book from Dumbledore. Like, surely there was someone, maybe not, though, because Crumb does say, you know, Grindelwald operated outside of Britain. Nobody really knows that symbol here. I just thought it was interesting because that's like the key piece of the book is that one symbol that tips off Hermione and -hmm. surely someone would have recognized it, but maybe not. Well, right. But it's just on the one chapter, right? Yeah. Of the, the tale. So, I mean, you got to think like half the time when I'm reading these and I am, I intend to look at the symbols. I were the, the little pictures. I forget. So I can imagine they'd be like, well, that doesn't matter. Like they're literally looking inside the text. Yeah. All of them have them. It it has one. It must not be important. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's all I had in this chapter. Oh, okay. Well, I wanted to talk about Hagrid because I feel like he had a decent role in Harry's birthday. And so everyone shows up for Harry's birthday. Lupin shows up for a hot second and he's all grumpy and he has to leave, which, you know, when Harry has so many like little people in his life, he probably was, even though he wanted to leave because he felt like it was better because he technically is a werewolf. It seemed like a cop out and Harry could probably tell. But anyways, not the point. Hagrid comes and I don't know, it just was like a sweet moment because you know, like reading the text in here, how much Hagrid loves Harry and how probably important he feels to have somebody like Harry to love. Mm-hmm. Um, he's even like, uh, six days to the day we since we met. Harry, do you remember? Mm-hmm. Or six years, excuse me, to the day since we met. Do you remember? And 
Harry uh, says vaguely, grinning up at him. Didn't you smash down the front door, give Dudley a pig's tail, and tell me I was a wizard? Ah, forget the details. I forget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, that's just so cute. And then mm-hmm. Hagrid gave him the mole skin, which I did not realize nobody but the owner can open. So it's like moke skin. a magical mole skin. Moke oh, moke skin. skin. Oh. Yeah. It's got there a we go again. But yeah, that was really cool, actually. I had not ever paid attention to the fact that only Harry can open that. I, like, they should be hiding everything important in that bag. Do an undetectable extension charm on that thing. Right. You know, like... That's a really cool magical object. And that's what he keeps all the important stuff in that's mm. important to him. And I didn't ever connect. And they didn't ever challenge that magic that only Harry could open it. But I love that item. I think that that's... I think Hagrid is a really good gift giver. Yeah. I also think... And we can come back to it or we can cover it here while we're chatting about Hagrid. The scene between Hagrid and Harry after Hedwig has just died, mm-hmm. which is in a couple chapters backward, mm. I thought that was really poignant. So I want to try and come back to that because if anyone knows what it, the pain of losing a pet, it's Hagrid. And so I think that that's just something yeah. we need to make sure we touch on. If you know, Hagrid's kind of dabbling in and out of these chapters, which is great to have him in here because he's still you know, a very important part of Harry's life as we see at the end of the book. Yeah, 100%. Okay, that's all I had for this chapter. Cool. All right. Yep. That's it for me. I've been kind of uh, trying to make, I think I need to start like making notes. I know you make notes. I tend to just do a bunch of sticky notes and like come up with things on the fly, but the threads between these chapters, that's one thing I'll say. And maybe we need to figure out a good way to do that in the next season is the threads between chapters or between episodes. Where do we fit those in? Because sometimes we just get into the nitty gritty of the chapter and it's like weirdly cross-referencing to try and reference that thing later. Anyway. We'll have to figure that out. We're working on the format. This format works pretty well, but there's still th- things we're learning as we go. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so let's turn back one chapter. Chapter six, the ghoul in pajamas. Preparations for Bill and Flora's wedding are taking place at the burrows. From cleaning the house to wrapping wedding presents, the entire family is working hard to get ready. Meanwhile, the big three are planning their escape to go and find the remaining Horcruxes. All the while, Molly Weasley is trying her best to keep them from leaving. Yep. And the last sentence of this chapter is, Harry watched as Mrs. Weasley waved her wand near the washing line and the damp clothes rose into the air to hang themselves up. And suddenly he felt a great wave of remorse for the inconvenience and the pain he was giving her. Yeah, this final section, I thought it was really interesting because the sentence right before that is, she looked at him a long searching look, then smiled a little sadly, straightened up and walked away. And I was trying to make sense of that emotionally. And I think it's that... She's sad for Harry Mm -hmm. that on his 17th birthday, he's still asking to not inconvenience people, which is something that we've discussed. He learned from his childhood. She can see as a parent that that's not how your child should respond. And she can't fix it for him, but she can still feel for him. And I, I really felt like that was a moment that I had never emotionally entered with the two characters that I, I really enjoyed yep. having. And, and there's, of course, in the chapter we just covered, he gives yeah. her a huge hug when they gift him his watch for his birthday. Mm. And they have very poignant moments together. But this one is less from Harry's perspective toward Mrs. Weasley and more from her perspective of him. And I really enjoyed having that moment between them. Yeah. And what was kind of sad is that I had to read it a couple times because I imagined what Harry saw and what we as the audience see is that Molly actually was feeling sad for him where he felt that he was inconveniencing her. That the, sad, the look of sadness was, oh, something else I have to do. Or really, she wanted to be able to do so much more and was sad that that was all he was getting. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh. 
Yeah. I think it's interesting because this happens on a page turn for us in the copies that we're reading. And so it does make it a little hard to track that ac literally across the page. Mm -hmm. So the line before is, that'd be great, but please don't go to loads of trouble. She says, not at all, not at all. It's no trouble. And you can imagine a parent who loves her children and loves Harry like a child, like her son, would be sad that he thinks that this is trouble, that, that just bringing people together who love him is trouble for them. Like, this is not trouble. This is joyous for them. They want to celebrate him. And Harry has been traumatized by a childhood of never having that love and support. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, there's actually, I, th I think I already posted it, but a funny meme on Instagram. You guys will have to go check out. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Weasley, I don't have a favorite child. I love all of them equally. At the burrow, you see a picture of Harry on the wall, <laughs> framed on the wall. <laughs> yeah, it's like a huge picture of Harry and seven little pictures of all the Weasley kids. <laughs> I don't have a favorite child <laughs> because my favorite is Harry and he's not mine. It's just, I just love him. Yeah. Well, and I think like, obviously we see that she has a, she deeply, deeply cares for him in Order of the Phoenix when her Bogart even shows up as Harry dead. So we know that Molly Weasley loves Harry as, a, as one of her own, but she also sees the scars that he carries from the people who didn't raise him as one of their own. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Interesting point I caught in this one is about Horcruxes. Okay. This is, so I'm going to move kind of backwards, but there's a scene where Harry, Ron, and Hermione finally get a moment together after Mrs. Weasley's been trying to keep them apart, cleaning the house, getting ready for the wedding. And they're talking about Horcruxes and how a Horcrux is just a container. And when the container mm -hmm. breaks, the soul is gone. It has nowhere to be. It can't just yeah. jump into something else. The part of the scene that I got a lot of interest in was about how the Horcrux can affect people. Because we've talked about that, I think last episode, episode 12, and I think mm -hmm. in episode 11 and possibly episode 10, when we were all up in the locket okay and what it says is while the magical container is still intact the bit of soul inside can flit in and out of someone if they get too close to it i don't mean holding it it's nothing to do with touching it i mean close emotionally they're talking about Ginny with the diary but i was thinking about umbridge because we were curious why the horcrux didn't affect umbridge and i think that despite wearing it umbridge was not emotionally close to the locket because she was using it for her own gain. Mm -hmm. Unlike Harry, Ron, and Hermione, who knew it was a Horcrux, who knew and it mattered a lot to them and it was emotionally important to them mm -hmm. that they keep this thing safe. So it was able to worm its way into them, just like the diary was able to do that with Ginny. Yeah, that's a very good point. Since Umbridge probably has no feelings. Just my just my thought, because I thought this, yeah, this kind of explained that a little bit more. Why? I mean, yes, Umbridge is evil and maybe the Horcrux can't affect evil people as much as it can affect good people. But I think also because Umbridge was using it for her own ends, it didn't have the same impact that it did on everyone else. Yeah, no, I saw that too. And that's a, a really good point. I didn't even think about Umbridge. So I like that explanation. That's a good one. So what did you get in this chapter? You know, most of my stuff was actually about Molly, back to Molly. I just kind of felt bad for her in this chapter. Like, She's trying to protect Harry and Ron and Hermione and she wants to love them all. And like, how frustrating would it be? Especially if you look at it as an adult, as a warrior, as a soldier, we'll call it in this like order. You're a member of the Order of the Phoenix and you don't get to know information that your son, your 17 year old son is best friend and the three best friends they get to know. But me as an adult, as a probably what, 40? She's probably 40 something. She can't know, nobody else can know. I'd be so mad. I'd be like, what mm -hmm. in Merlin's beard? You know, like, what? like I'd be so mad. Yeah, Merlin saggy left dot dot yeah. dot. Uh, <laughs> I think interestingly that, that that interaction that they have when she's questioning Harry and he says, I didn't misunderstand that Dumbledore wanted it done. He, it has got to be me. 
And I was thinking a lot about that scene where Harry comes to the realization that the reason Dumbledore set him the task is one, he had to be the one to do it. But two, he didn't want to put anyone else in harm's way. Mm. And Harry, even here, knows it has to be him. He knows about the prophecy. So he kind of does know this whole time that it's got to be him. He, he can't pass this off. He can't put... And, and he personally, they've just lost Mad-Eye, Dumbledore before that, Hedwig, Sirius... All of these people have stood up between Voldemort and Harry and have died for it. And Harry's done letting that be the case when he knows the prophecy mm-hmm. says it has to be a certain way. And so he's not going to tell Molly. He's not going to tell Lupin because he doesn't want to have that on his soul as well. I mean, he doesn't even want Ron and Hermione to go with him. They just tell him it's not an option. We're going with you. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But I agree that I think Molly and all of the adults, I think Mr. Weasley handles it the best because he's raised all these Weasley kids and they've all been very independent. But even Lupin doesn't handle it super well. He's like, well, you don't have to tell me, but let me go with you. Okay, no, that's that, that's still the same outcome from Harry's perspective. Yeah. And then Molly just wants to keep them safe and keep them, you know, in her nest and not even have them take this on. And to be told that she can't do the thing that she's good at, which is being the mother, mm-hmm. would be very... I can imagine she and Arthur lay in bed at night and she just, like, goes at him. Like, These <laughs> kids won't stop. Like, and he's just laying there, honey, I know, uh-huh, I know, but they're adults, <laughs> we can't stop them. Just like Fred and George with Weasley's Wizard Weezes, we can't stop them. All we can do is try and set them out as best we can. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're so right. I want that scene. That should have been a scene in the movie, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Molly and Arthur just, I just picture them like laying in bed with the covers up. You know, you like see that on TV where there's a couple, they get into bed and they're just laying there and he's like yeah. trying to nod off. He's got his glasses on, he's reading and uh-huh. Yeah, honey, I know. <laughs> like, I, There's nothing they could, you could <laughs> vent at me because I love you and you're my spouse, but it's not going to change anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of like that 70s show, except for Red would have to be very positive. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like a scene that I've imagined a lot and seen a lot in different shows. Yeah. Quick answer to something we had a question about. Where did they get the Polyjuice potion that they carry around? Mm-hmm. They they smuggled it from Mad-Eye stock, which somehow Mrs. Weasley had, but I don't really know how that came to be. But now we know for sure they, they got it. It's technically Mad-Eye's Polyjuice potion, which is weird that Mad-Eye's carrying around Polyjuice potion when he doesn't need it anymore, but whatever. <laughs> yep. Yep. I saw that too. I was like, oh, there we go. I think you had said that. Yeah, it was my hypothesis that it came from Mad-Eye, but I couldn't remember the detail. And so I got that answer. Yeah. All right. Do you have anything else in this chapter? I just thought it was funny how Hermione thinks of everything. She was already packing stuff. She even thought to bring the uh, book to translate runes, even though she didn't even know that she was going to need the book to translate mm-hmm. runes. I just, all of it was, uh, yeah, just very Hermione. I was like, you go, girl. Mm-hmm. Like, she was already thinking of everything. Yeah. Yeah, she was the whole discussion of what Ron and Hermione have done to protect their families and be able to join Harry. Mm-hmm. I think that's when he finally gives up on trying to not convince to convince them not to come with him because it's clear that they have dedicated so much. They can't do what Harry's done. They can't not have parents, but they've done a lot to try and be with him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, that was it. Okay, all right. Well, let's turn back one more chapter and we will do our best to get through this one in a timely fashion. I know we're running a little bit longer today. Stick with us. Uh, It's going to make it go a lot faster in the next episode and then we'll be wrapping up. Hey, so let's make the galleons to keep the show going. Have you heard of the Osseo Box? The Osseo Box is the magical world's only vegan and cruelty-free indie subscription box and it's perfect if you still need a little more magic in your life after listening to this week's episode of The Glittering Bell Jar. Each monthly box is a theme from the Wizarding World. Past boxes include Big Witch Energy, House Pride, and Magical Books. You can also buy past boxes and themed character boxes. You know which one we want, hashtag Neville Fan Club. Visit our sister site at followthebutterflies.com slash Box to sign up today and you'll receive 20% off your box or subscription. That's followthebutterflies.com slash Box to sign up for the Osseo Box. 
Thanks for supporting our show. Now let's get back to the Wizarding World. Chapter 5. Fallen Warrior. The Order has just been attacked after trying to move Harry from Pivot Drive to the Burrows. George has been injured and Mad-Eye Moody and Hedwig have been killed. Harry deals with the death and injuries by wondering if he should allow them to harbor him at all. And the final sentence of this chapter is... Harry, he's taking over the ministry and the newspapers and half the wizarding world. Don't let him inside your head, too. And that was Hermione speaking to Harry, which we have discussed extensively Mm. Hermione's aversion to Harry's ability to see inside Voldemort's mind. But just another perspective on that, because she also just like, just don't let him in your head. He's everywhere else. We don't need him in that part of our lives, too. Right. Yeah. She's very freaked out by that. But there are worse things to worry about Hermione. But just a weird phobia, I think. Because she can't control it, right? I imagine it's because it's just she can't. It's up to Harry to control it. And Harry can't control it. And I mean, I think we're both similar in the way we all like control, right? Where like nobody can control that except for Harry. And he doesn't want to do it. Okay. So we had kind of alluded to the discussion of of Hagrid and Hedwig's death and mm. all that in earlier in this episode. So I wanted to come kind of come back to that. So, yeah. you know, they just arrived at Tonks's house and they're about to take the port key back to the Weasleys, to the borough. And Hagrid asks where Hedwig mm-hmm. is. And Harry is very emotional about losing his companion. It's interesting the way Hagrid handles, handles it because he basically says, you know, he pats Harry on the back and says, never mind, she had a great old life, which doesn't feel like what Hagrid necessarily would feel himself if one of his pets died. I don't know. I felt like that was maybe a little bit off. You know what? I disagree. So having had what two, yeah, two dogs, they died like within a year of each other. Honestly, the most comforting thing people could say was they had a great life and just like you did a great job. They had a great life. So Hagrid having probably had and lost many, many animals or creatures in his life, that was probably something that comforted him the most and knew that that's the thing to say is, you know, no one wants to hear I'm sorry. No one wants to hear, you know, whatever. They just want to hear like, you did a great job. They had a great life and that's all you can ask for. That's a really good perspective. I've been very fortunate in most of my pet ownership life and pet ownership is very different where you, your job is to steward Mm. this little creature through the life. You're right. I guess Hagrid does know best what to say. And if if it is something that provides comfort. Yeah, for sure. If anyone, if I would want anyone there, it would be Hagrid. Yeah. He would get it. He would get even that you don't have to say anything sometimes to honor a pet and how important they are. Speaking of Hedwig, I looked it up because I was quite curious. Like, well, we know Hedwig was, what, six years six years old at the time. So I was trying to look up. So I guess snow owls can live anywhere from 10 years, but they're also known to live up to 30. So she was taking taken like very soon. Even if it was just 10 years, that's still almost half the amount that she could have lived. And probably in the wizarding world, being happy like that, it could have been up to 30. Yeah. Actually, she was probably more like eight or nine years old because most of these big predator birds take several years to reach maturity. And presumably she wasn't like a young bird when Harry bought her. So she was probably two or three. So she, but still she was much, she had a lot of life left in her but she also well in the movie she dies protecting harry but in the books she doesn't because she's still in her cage and i always felt like that was heartbreaking but we haven't gotten to that part yet Mm. so spoilers sorry (laughs) okay so let's shift to lupin because lupin has a really big role in this chapter and i feel like it made a lot more sense of the scene in grimald place when lupin comes to harry and they get in a big fight about lupin joining them because lupin really from harry's perspective really makes harry feel dumb Mm -hmm. and makes him very angry for the choices that he made in the battle and i could see some of that resentment 
it's sticking around in Harry, especially when, as we just discussed, Lupin comes to Harry's birthday and is in bad mood and leaves early. And I yeah. get he has to leave early to protect his family. But okay. So he comes to, he's like, comes to my birthday and he's in a bad mood. And then he turns up in Grimmauld Place and expects I'm just going to let him gallivant off with me when he finally tells me the reason he's been in a bad mood is his wife is pregnant. That's a good thing. You don't leave, you don't walk out on that. So all of a sudden I was like, in the book, it kind of says Harry didn't know why he was so mad, but I kind of see why he was so mad because he and Lupin have not been having good interactions leading up to that fight. Yeah, 100%. Now I'm like, okay, I see Harry. Where before I was kind of annoyed at Harry, but now I'm like, no, Lupin's been a jerk to you. He's been very like closed off the way Dumbledore would have been. And that's the last thing Harry needs is another Dumbledore not telling him what's going on and not actually including him. So you either get to be someone that you share emotions with me the way Sirius did, or, you know, you can bugger off, you know, like, I don't, I don't want to see it. Don't try to protect me when you don't want to keep me included. I'm old enough now to have some of that emotional responsibility. Yeah, he he feels like he's being condescended to and he's done with that from all these people because Dumbledore has kept him out of the most important information he needs. Yeah, well, and his owl just died. The last thing you want to hear is that it was your fault that all this just happened, that Mad-Eye died, that they, you know what, I guess it's not his fault Mad-Eye died because they went for him first anyways, but to realize like, oh, well, had I been, you know, more evil, which is what I've been trying not to be my whole life is evil like Voldemort. You're telling me now I didn't do the right thing. That's why my owl died. Like, dang. And all the, and George got hurt. Yeah, I didn't fight dirty enough. Yeah, like, dang. Right. That's yeah. harsh. It is. It is. And I I mean, I, I to- like I said, it totally made sense of Harry's emotional reaction to Lupin. Yeah. Shifting to Mad-Eye and Mad-Eye's death, I, I thought if anybody was going to get Mad-Eye, it had to be Voldemort. And that maybe in some way, Mad-Eye's soul is at peace knowing he went out against the big boss. You know, like <laughs> it wasn't some measly yeah. little Death Eater. He'd been fighting dark, the Dark Arts his entire life and it took the biggest, baddest guy on the block before he was finally taken out. I'd like to think that that is actually a testament to Mad-Eye that he lived through so much and it took Voldemort yeah. and it wasn't a graceful death no right. <laughs> but a, but a battle hardened warrior doesn't typically have a there is no grace in a quiet death it's like you've been fighting so long it defines who you are yeah I like that that's good I think Harry would have liked to hear that <laughs> yeah Harry I'm speaking to you uh I have uh an answer to a long lost question okay in this chapter, we finally learn what happened to Bellatrix's husband. Uh-huh. So when Tonks arrives at the burrow, she says, Bellatrix really wants to get me as much as she wants to get Harry. I wish I'd got her. I owe her. But we definitely injured Rodolphus. Oh. So I don't know what that injury was, but it was sufficient that the guy is never <laughs> mentioned again in the entire rest of the book. So go Tonks. Good job on that one. Thank you for answering my question because I've been super curious what happened to Rodolphus. Yeah. And you know what? I, I tend to forget how close-knit the wizarding family is. I forgot, and I think we even mentioned it, and it just slipped my mind that Tonks is related to Bellatrix, and they're all they're all intertwined. Mm-hmm. Like all the wizard families are. Mm-hmm. Did you do any research? I feel like because we were working on a story for Follow the Butterflies about the Sacred Twenty Eight. Did you ever look that up? No. So there's twenty eight families in the magical world that are the pure blood families. There's only twenty eight of them, and if you go look up the list, mm-hmm. over half of them are Death Eater families. Like the the names are all Death Eaters associated. Basically, when Umbridge says I'm related to the Selwyns, and then I'm I'm related to almost every other family, that's actually not a huge brag. It's not like a I'm so cool. It's literally like most of them are related to each other. Like the Weasleys are related to the Malfoys, they're related to the Blacks, they're related to, you know, all of, they're all related. Because there's only 28 families that the family lines have survived that long. It's so weird. It's, it's basically, if you think of it, like the royal families of the world. Yeah. 
there were times where when the royal families were only allowed to marry within their own families, there was just only so many families and there was like not a big pool of genetic diversity. Yeah. Anyway, I I did dive into that this past week and I thought it was like, wow, that list is very short and Hmm. most of those people are Death Eaters. That's so weird to think about. There are not very many families that have stood up to the dark arts in this particular instance. It's all that inbreeding. Mm. The only other thing I had in this chapter is about Mundungus and Snape and the whole Seven Potters plan, which we might get into more next week, but I think it makes sense here where they're talking about like how did the plan get tipped and the important thing to remember is it's Snape's plan Snape came up with the whole plan and he planted the date and seven potters idea in Mundungus's mind and then he fed Voldemort only the date information so that the Death Eaters didn't know there were going to be seven potters so Snape this is like a Snape's not a bad guy tick he gives just enough information to tell Voldemort the truth without revealing the important detail that keeps Harry alive and for the most part tries to keep everyone else alive like he had to know it wasn't going to be 100% success rate and survival rate but like he doesn't mean to attack George when he does yep he you know he does try and keep Harry safe by having this obfuscation and puts it all into Mundungus's head so that it like you know comes in that way anyway I just thought that was interesting and I was like this was a very well thought out plan which is an indication it was a Snape idea because Snape's plans are often very well thought out he's a very smart guy a very good wizard Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I noticed that as well. And I was like, he tried, which they're all very mad at him for George. But I mean, he did what he could to keep him alive. And he did. And if I remember correctly, he was trying to attack one of the Death Eaters who was about to do a killing curse on Lupin and George. And they're, they moved in midair because they were all on broomsticks. And that's how he ended up hitting George. So he wasn't even aiming for George. Only Harry knows that because only Harry saw Snape's memories. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, you're right. Yeah. Do you have anything else to wrap up this chapter? No. No. You? Okay. Well, we have run possibly, probably, very likely, our longest episode ever, uh, but also the (laughs) longest section of the book. This was 100 pages, okay? So thank you for sticking with us for an hour and the 100 pages Mm -hmm. because that's how long it takes to get through this kind of depth in a book. I mean, the book is only 700 pages. We covered one-seventh of this book today. Wow. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Next week, it's a little bit shorter. We're going to cover about 60 pages and then we'll be done with the book. And then in two weeks time, we'll be talking about the movie. And I think we're going to have a special guest, TBA, to be announced who that will be. But we're really excited. We got a couple people who are interested. So we should have a little more conversation when we're talking about the films. And uh, yeah, let's, let's just wrap it up here. All right. If you enjoyed yourself, if you are, you have any thoughts, please uh, go to Apple or whatever podcast player you use. Give us a five-star review. Put your feedback there. Um, It keeps the podcast going, uh, those reviews. Uh, Share if you like our podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We want to hear about it. Uh, It doesn't matter how little of a following you have. Please share. It does make a difference. Uh, You pay attention when your friends suggest something, and they will pay attention to you. And it honestly means the world to us. We appreciate it. It does. Also, I heard recently that Spotify was going to start adding ratings to their podcast. So if you're Mm. listening on Spotify, you might check your app and see if you have that feature yet, because Spotify is one of the biggest playing platforms in the entire world. So that would be helpful there. You can can rank us wherever you would like. We're happy to receive stars from any platform. And to wrap everything up, if you have any private feedback you want to give us other than hitting us up in the DMs at BelJarPod, you can always email me at podcast at followthebutterflies.com. Followthebutterflies.com is my Harry Potter blog that I've been working on. Brie has helped me with some of the stuff that's up on that site. Uh, it's just another place to get more Harry Potter in your life. So if this was not enough, this hour you've spent with us is not enough this week, head on over to followthebutterflies.com. There's lots of stuff to discover there too. And with that, I think we'll wrap it up. See you next week. All right. See ya. The 
Glittering Bell Jar is a Harry Potter podcast produced by the Calibro Group in partnership with Wild Goose Creatives. It is an unofficial fan project that is not authorized, approved, licensed, or endorsed by J.K. Rowling, her publishers, or Warner Brothers Entertainment Incorporated. Our theme music is Carnival of the Animals R125, Aquarium by Moments, licensed via Soundstripe. You can discover even more magic on followthebutterflies.com.